Happiness has been quite the trending topic of late. Several years ago, Gretchen Rubin wrote The Happiness Project, which stayed on the New York Times bestseller list for over two years. It's now been published in over 30 languages, and the Happiness Project groups have sprung up all over the country and the world. Universities are jumping on the happiness bandwagon as well. The most popular course at Yale, Psychology and the Good Life, is devoted to teaching students how to be happy. A prerequisite for the course is taking the happiness inventory quiz, which interestingly enough, is found on the authentic happiness website of the University of Pennsylvania. <laughs> we shouldn't be surprised that being happy has gotten so much societal focus. If I asked you what you want for your children, I'm sure you would respond, all I want is for them to be happy. Now, secretly, we probably want some other things for them too, you know, that they be successful, that they settle into healthy relationships, that they be functioning, respectable members of society. But officially, we'll settle for happiness. As Americans, this focus on happiness is built right into the founding of our country. Our Declaration of Independence tells us that we have an unalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Seeking happiness seems to be the central aim of our society. Which raises a bit of an issue for us as we look at our gospel passage for today. Because several versions of the Bible translate the Greek makarios as happy versus blessed. So we have Beatitudes that have regularly been translated, happy are the poor, happy are the hungry. Of course, the more common translation is blessed, but are happiness and blessedness the same thing? Quite frankly, Jesus doesn't seem much interested in our happiness. He doesn't promise it, nor does he tell us to pursue it. This is not to say that happiness is a bad thing. There are worse things to pursue, but the main problem with happiness is that it commonly presents as an end in itself to be pursued for its own sake, as if the purpose of life is to be happy. Blessedness is fundamentally different. We cannot pursue blessedness. It is a gift that is given. In pursuing our purpose, rightly discerned, we are promised blessedness. In this way, we discover that even a life of deprivation and challenge can nevertheless be a blessed life. Blessedness comes when we are right with God. There are pretty striking differences between Luke's Beatitudes and those we are more familiar with from Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew, Jesus preaches from a high place, emphasizing his wisdom. In Luke, he speaks from a level place, emphasizing his intimate presence among us. In Matthew, Jesus speaks in the third person as one does when making statements for mass consumption by the crowd. In Luke, he speaks in the second person as one does when looking someone right in the eye because the words are meant for him or her. Matthew's version is more spiritualized, mentioning the poor in spirit and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There is no spiritualizing Luke's version. 
He is straightforward and quite clear. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Just a couple of chapters ago, Jesus declared in the synagogue at Nazareth that he has been anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. Here, that mission statement is fleshed out. Jesus has moved out of the synagogue to be among the multitudes. The great crowd of folks from all over the area, Jewish and Gentile, come to Jesus with their illness and their disordered lives and their hunger. They literally reach out to him, hoping to touch him, that they might be healed by the power that comes out from him. And Jesus stands on their level and looks them in the eye and pronounces them blessed. The problem with today's teaching is not that Jesus is hard to understand, but that his clear meaning is so challenging. We look around our world and we think, uh, sorry, Jesus, but I see no evidence that being poor or hungry or sad is a state of blessedness. I don't want to be in any of those states. If that's what being blessed is, maybe I don't want to be blessed. Unless we think we can quietly move on from this chapter pretending that we didn't hear it. Luke steps up and looks us in the eye and tells us that we can do no such thing. Because not only is Luke quite clear about who is blessed of God, but he is quite clear about who will experience a reversal of the abundance of their circumstance, pairing his four blessings with four woes. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. You know as well as I do that we are those who are rich and full and laughing. Friends, I'd like to make this more comfortable for you, but this is Jesus' definitive sermon and teaching straight from the horse's mouth. So we have to be willing to hear it and ponder how it is speaking into our lives and our discipleship. We might feel hashtag blessed with our assets and our retirement plans and our travel experiences. But Jesus wants us to know that true blessing, eternal life blessing, comes from knowing that regardless of our circumstance, each of us is dependent on God. The blessings and woes are given that we might see ourselves clearly in relation to God, regardless of what the world says or values. Jesus could call the poor and the hungry and the mourning blessed because he knew himself to be a source of blessedness to them. He takes these folks seriously and is involved in tending to their needs to their healing. He believes that God has the power to change their circumstance, a power that he himself embodies. And perhaps most importantly, he believes God's intention is to use his disciples to bring about this healing and transformation. Recall Matthew 25 where Jesus is winnowing the sheep and the goats. 
He says, come, you that are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom. For I was hungry and thirsty, a stranger and naked, sick and in prison, and you cared for me when you cared for the least of these. And likewise, the judgment or woes on those who did not. Here, I don't read Jesus as mad, but as sad that we don't see that we are choosing a lesser good over the ultimate good. Friends, it is no more inherently bad to have riches than it is inherently good to be poor. Those who Jesus pronounces as blessed are those who, because of their circumstance in this world, more clearly see and accept their dependence on God for all that comprises life. And they hold fast to the promise that regardless of the degree to which they live in God's kingdom now, they will know wholeness and contentment and joy in God's fully realized kingdom. For those of us living under the promise of the woes, the problem for us, as it was in Jesus' time, is the tendency for that which passes for blessedness in this world riches, sated appetites, experiences, happiness, to become a matter of ultimate concern, to keep us so comfortable that we fail to live into our responsibility to be actively and intentionally and sacrificially involved in bringing about God's kingdom here and now by acting in the world as Jesus did. Jesus' mission is cosmic in scope. He comes not just to transform you and me, but to transform God's world. We, as his disciples, have a role in bringing about the kingdom of God that Jesus inaugurates. Let us hear the warning not to choose lesser goods over the ultimate good. The gospel of the world tells us, blessed are the rich and the full and the happy. But that is not the gospel of Jesus. To be among the blessed, to be on the right side of history, as we like to say, we need to be on God's side. Amen.